This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Hey, so how's it going? Well, I have dysentery. (laughs) I know, and I'm going to miss you. Consumption. So I just want to say at the top, like, I'm going to really try to go through and edit out all my coughing and sniffling, but I probably will miss a couple because I missed one last week. It was really the only one we had, but I'm going to try to do better this week. But if you hear me cough, I'm really sorry. There's not, I, I wish I wasn't either. So we're both in that boat. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? What's going on? Tell me something good. Um, I got puked on today. I know. Aren't you so glad? You know, I just, I woke up this morning and I was like, I really hope a kid barfs all over me. And I mean, it's really like the top 10 things that can happen in your day. And like I told you in that text message, I was trying so hard to not look affected by it that instead mm-hmm. I looked at her like she was the biggest imposition on my life. Like, <laughs> because... She probably went home and was like, Sir Adams hates me. Well, luckily I work with her dad, so I told him. But like, because I'm a sympathetic vomiter, because like, mm-hmm. she was just like, at it and i was like oh god don't react paul don't react and instead i gave her like a stank face like oh i threw up in the middle of my classroom my first day of first grade because i was so nervous oh it was like i had just moved to public school from private school and i didn't know anybody i was totally freaked out i am withholding everything i want to say what (laughs) do you remember the call that we had this weekend when i told you not all of us grew up on the golf course Oh my god! I'm sorry. I can't help it that I did. I can't I change my childhood because yours is sadder than mine. I know, and I don't expect you to. But I'll but just plus try. Mine is sad in different ways. Okay, like let's just I'm, call a spade a spade. That's. I mean, that's fair. I'm just going to withhold all the private school things that I wanted to say, which is a growth experience for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then my other cool throwing up story is one of my friends, we were walking into a club in college and she turned to the side, threw up and kept walking like, because <laughs> we had been pre-gaming. She didn't even stop. She didn't even break her stride. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is Lifetime Sentence where we talk about Upchuck. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I have much respect for her in that moment because I am not like a graceful thrower upper. Um, I, in fact, I didn't think there was a such thing until just now when you told me that story. There you go. You learn something new every day. Every day. (laughs) My grandmother used to say, it's only a wasted day if you didn't learn something. So grandma, it is not a wasted day today. There you go. See, I'm good for a lot of things. Um, so, um, Mm -hmm. I guess, like, we don't have a whole lot at the top of this episode, so we can start by saying... um, Oh, uh, by the time this comes out, it'll be one week till Christmas, and I'd just like to say that having consumption slash the plague slash tuberculosis, whatever this is, um, I have not done anything for Christmas. I'm so proud of you. Nothing. Sarah decorated our tree while I was out of town. I'm glad she did because I came home to a decorated tree. But I was look as I was looking at it this morning, I was like, I love decorating the tree with her. But if she'd waited for me to have a free moment in my life, we'd be waiting till next Christmas. There you go. 
Things got to get done. Dr. Sarah has things to do. Um, so since it is one week till Christmas, like when this comes out, mm-hmm. that means we are just ever closer to our anniversary episode. I know. And I'm not trying to get too excited about it, except that like, how is that a thing? I don't know. I I really don't know. I feel like so crazy. I feel like I expected at this point in our career, A, to for this to not be a thing, or B for us to have merch. So I'm wrong on both ca- accounts. Maybe that's our goal for twenty twenty is merch. That is our goal for twenty twenty. See? There you go. And meeting celebrities. Sure. Right. I did see the the preview for the new Top Gun movie today and John Hamm is in it so I'm just going to request my theater give me a private screening for me only <laughs> um, do you follow Anna Kendrick on Twitter uh, probably but I don't I usually don't open Twitter because it's a dumpster fire my favorite tweet ever comes from her and she said I just got kicked out of a out of the theaters for watching a Ryan Reynolds movie or as some people call it masturbating in public <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought of just now. <laughs> yup. Look, that's a gorgeous man. And you put him in a uniform. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Um, yeah. Um, so tune in for our first live episode from the pr- premiere of Top Gun. We're not invited. We're just going to crash it. Mm-hmm. In six months. Six months. <laughs> that movie doesn't come out till June. <laughs> well, uh, Welcome to Lifetime Sentence. I'm John Ham. No, you're not, because I'm John Ham's wife. And no, no, that's fair. Okay, <laughs> then I'm Ryan Reynolds. There you go. Identity crisis. Sorry. <laughs> ha- happens to uh, all of us when we're famous. Speaking of famous people, D- this movie has quite a famous person in it. <laughs> oh man, I can't wait to play. I've never heard of this person. You have heard of this person. Okay. Um, so just off the top, I just wanted to say, like, I want I was going to refer to her by her actual name because I usually do that when they're super famous. But um, there's so many people in it. There's like a huge ensemble cast. And I thought it would get jumbled up. Okay. When you told the real story, nobody would know who you were talking about. Right. So... This movie I watched this week was called She Made Them Do It. Um, It stars Jenna Dewan. Oh, yeah. I do know who that is. She was married to Channing Tatum. Um, Mm -hmm. She was in Witches of East End. She was in The Grat? No. I don't know. What I wrote for was Step Up, Take the Lead, Uh and The Jerk Theory. Yeah, she was in... The Witches of East End, Sarah watched that is the only reason I know okay. that she's in that. And um, mostly she could just go on screen reading names out of the phone book and I would watch and drool. She's my John Ham. Well, see, there you go. It's a good week for both of us is what I'm saying. It's a great week for both of us. Um, Mackenzie Phillips, she plays Jamie. Um, she's old. Like a lot of the stuff that she was in, but you'll know one of the things, the things she was in. Um, um, she's in So Weird. 
Yeah, um, but she's also in American Graffiti, One Day at a Time, mm-hmm. and Orange is the New Black, and she was also on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Yeah, she's in the original One Day at a Time. The remake is also very good, but yeah. She's I, on, she was in the remake. She either cameoed or something. She cameoed. So. Uh, she's yeah. the um, counselor. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm surprised that I could draw from way down deep in the banks that I knew who she was. Yeah, because I, I knew you watched One Day at a Time. Mm-hmm. Um April Tellick nailed it. Her name, she plays Mimi. Um, she's in Supernatural. She was on Rogue. She was in this week's uh, Christmas premiere on Hallmark Channel, Holiday Date. Okay. Um, she's been in lots of Hallmark movies. She plays like the friend or the sister or whatever. She was in Amigo All the Way. She's in the Aurora Tea Garden movies. She was in Love and Sunshine. Who and she's is been she in the Garage Girl um i don't if you didn't write it down that's fine you don't have to look it up it's okay um so yeah and then moving on lisa marie carrick nailed it again um she plays feral um she was in final destination snakes on a plane and a comedy show called no men beyond this point okay and finally we have steve Basic, basic, and he's been in a movie before, but I a lifetime movie that we've covered, but I cannot find what it is. Okay, y'all need to get you a wife because um, alcohol and chili just appeared in front of me while I'm recording. That's so sweet. So she plays Nicole Wilson in the Aurora Tea Garden. Okay. Movies, and she played Anna McNary in the Garage Sale Mysteries with former Hallmark darling Lori Loughlin. Gotcha. Rest in peace, Aunt Becky. Yeah, this last guy, Steve, Steve Basic, Basic, he plays a U.S. Marshal. I don't bother to use his name. And he's been in a movie we've covered before. I know he has, but I cannot find what it was. I went back through, like, my notes and, like, Google searched them, and I cannot find him. But he's in a bunch of Hallmark movies. He was in the Garage Sale Mysteries. He was in Once Upon a, Time, uh, Once Upon a Christmas Miracle, All for Love, Deadly Sorority on the Lifetime Channel. So he does a lot of those, like, this kind of genre. Gotcha. So we open in a park at Purdue University. Sarah is walking with her boyfriend and pointing out everyone who is checking him out. They go to a frat party and sell everyone there some weed. And after they leave, they talk about their foolproof plan to sell drugs to all the frats in the area and how they're going to be super rich, but also stay super, super humble because if you get greedy, that's how you get caught. Right. Naturally, everyone knows that. (laughs) And then they have sex against the side of the house. Because they're humble. Yeah. They go inside and the couple staying with them is doing cocaine. Oh, no. Sorry. They go home and they someone's having like a playing loud music and having up like a party at their house. And Sarah is like, they've been here for four months. I want them to leave. And so they go inside and the couple in there, they're doing cocaine. And so instead of kicking them out, they just all get super wasted. Like you do. Mm hmm. Um, we cut to Sarah dancing with the girl while the boys play video games. Like, lame. Later, Sarah goes to put away her money from the evening and finds that the unlocked box she keeps her money in, stupid, is empty. There's no way that happened. Mm. She totally freaks out and she screams at her boyfriend, Rick, that she wants them to leave. She's like, I'm going out to get cigarettes. They better be gone by the time I get back. And when she comes back, the TV they were playing on says game over. And I was like, clever. Um, And she finds the other couple's dead bodies on the couch and the floor. 
So things escalated really quickly. Her boyfriend walks out of the hallway covered in blood, holding a baseball bat and sputtering about how he had to do it. They stole from her and the other guy had a gun and it just happened so fast. Um, she says that they should call the cops since this was supposed to be self-defense. And he's like, no, 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 you can't call the cops. They'll totally pin this on me. They won't believe me. We have to dump the bodies and then leave. Just like a really big jump. Right. I mean. There are a lot of flying leaps made in this movie and I just don't get it. Um, so they go dump the bodies in a dumpster and then Sarah pukes in the truck. <laughs> Speaking of puking. <laughs> See, it all circles back. Um, but she rallies and goes to work. She sees on the news at the store she works at that the bodies were found. Um, later, they go check into a motel, and her dipshit boyfriend pays for it with his credit card. Yikes. She's like, oh, my God, we have to leave. And so as she says it, a siren blares outside, and someone on a bullhorn shouts that they're surrounded. And we cut to the police station where Sarah's being interrogated. She keeps saying that Rick manipulated her and that she was scared and didn't know what to do. But the police officer has a different story in his head where Sarah forces Rick to kill them herself. So she's arrested and put in jail with her new roommates. And it's like friends, but with orange jumpsuits. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. She cries and holds her roommate Jamie's hand. Her dad comes to visit her and tells her that he knows this is a terrible misunderstanding and that he's hired an attorney and she'll be home soon. But no bail was um, set because of the charges, so she has to stay in there. Um, Jamie makes bail, her friend from the jail, but promises to come back and visit. And I'll then they kiss. Back for you. Oh. I was like, what? I, I missed that. Okay. <laughs> this movie is going from zero to 100 without asking permission at all. Mm -mm. The DA is painting quite a picture of Sarah to the media, calling her evil and manipulative and saying that she has the ability to seduce people to commit crimes on her behalf. He calls her the female Charles Manson. That's a little hefty. Like I said, lots of giant leaps in this movie by everyone. Her dad comes back to the jail with a lawyer to show off just how sweet and innocent Sarah is. He says they found a letter from her to Rick in Rick's jail cell, basically confessing to the crime. But Sarah insists that it's a lie and someone's trying to set her up. But that doesn't work, so she's found guilty and sentenced to 50 and 60 years to be consecutively served. And we're off to prison. It's a very short movie. Mm. She gets her cell and her new roommate, who is much less receptive to her, then she meets Mimi, who asks her to hang out sometime, and tells her that her roommate, just FYI, poisoned two of her husbands. <laughs> it's like, delightful. Um, Sarah ignores her, though, and who pops in to visit just then? Her friend Jamie. Hey, girl, what's up? Missed hey, you. Girl. But I really thought, like, once you get out of jail, you're not supposed to go, like, visit other inmates. I don't know the rules. Because every time... I just know that from, like, documentaries and stuff. Every time we think we know the rules, they do things like get to wear jean jackets in jail. Oh, it's true. Um, so Jamie tells her that her, hat, her dad's hired a special appeals attorney and that they're going to get her out of there. She tells her not to sit around feeling sorry for herself. She has to do her part. So Sarah starts hitting the books because who needs to go to Purdue Law School when you can go to prison law school? Um, 
A girl named Farrell approaches her with a letter she received, hoping that Sarah will tell her what it means because she's gained the reputation as being the smartest girl on the prison block. The letter is a petition from relatives of Farrell to terminate her parental rights. Um, so Sarah's like, well, I'll look into this for you and see what I can do. Um, Sarah finally makes friends with Mimi, who gives her a prison energy drink on Halloween, consisting of coffee, sugar, and allergy medicine. Yum. That's not energy drink. That's mm. just a cocktail for death. Yeah. So Sarah starts hanging out with the cool kids. They have a dance party because I'm 100% certain it's part of Jenna Dewan's contract that she gets a dance solo in all her movies. I'm not complaining. She starts seducing one of the guards with her sick dance moves, and he takes a picture of her. It's really weird. Um, <laughs> I think that's the actual title of this movie. It just, it's really weird. It's really weird. <laughs> I think it's in that escalated quickly. <laughs> Sarah helps Farrell to get her kids back because she's, so I guess the thing with Farrell was the, her uh, relatives that were trying to take her kid away, they informed her ex that they were doing it, but they didn't inform her. And the only way you can legally do that is if you don't know where they are. But clearly everyone knows where she is. Right. She's in prison. Yeah. Um, so everything seems to be going really well, except she finds out that the appellate court denied her appeal. So she starts listing all the other ways she's going to appeal this. But her dad, unfortunately, says, like, I don't have any money. And so... She's like, don't worry about it. I'll figure something out. So she hatches a nice plan to start selling Mimi's energy drink instead of giving it away so they can make money off of it. Uh, so she's, basically, she's enterprising. I like it. Yeah. Basically, everyone in the prison is like addicted to this allergy medication. So because it has like some kind of like upper in it. Have, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably like Sudafed, like epinephrine or whatever. Haven't you ever just popped a Claritin to get through the day? You know, sometimes no. you just need that high right to start your morning. Do I sound like I've ever popped a Claritin <laughs> to get through the day? <laughs> um, <clears throat> she um, meets with a new attorney and says that since Rick later confessed that he forged the confession letter that was supposedly from her um, and used to convict her, they should let her out. But the attorney is like, no, that's not how that works, sweetie. Like, they still have all this other evidence. <laughs> have you seen The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No, not yet, but it's on my list. You should watch it. It's so good. But in one of the early episodes, she gets arrested and then she gets bailed out. And she's real confused by the fact that she has to appear in court because she got bailed out the same night she was arrested. So it's like it didn't even happen. <laughs> <laughs> um. So they're going to try to get her conviction overturned, but it, this is like her last appeal. Um, so she visits with um, Jamie and flirts with the guard some more. She makes out with him a little, but he doesn't have a condom on him. So she tells him, no glove, no love. For real? Like verbatim? Mm -hmm. Thank you, 90s advertising. You stuck to it. Mm -hmm. What year was this movie? Oh, nine, I think. You stuck to a 2009 movie. You did it. Yeah. But he still gives her the pills that he smuggled in for her. So good for her, I guess. I guess she's like a really good kisser. Well, that shows that it's true love and not just glove love. Yeah. Um, Mimi, like, 
she approaches Mimi about like expanding their operation, but Mimi's like, no way. Like I'm about to get out of here. I can't afford to get into trouble. And so she's like, oh, no problem. It's totally fine. But Mimi suddenly has some kind of like allergic reaction. And she like stumbles out into the hallway, like choking and gasping for air. And they take and they take her to the um, infirmary. And in this version of events, she just calls for help. So they take her to the infirmary and then they're like, yeah, they're going to keep her there until she's released like in three weeks. She's going to stay there. Okay, that's fair. <clears throat> Sarah finally goes all the way with the guard a lot. Um, <laughs> and he, of course, falls in love with her. So that's two prison love stories in this month alone. And... Um... That's two more than I expected to have in any month. For sure. She convinces Jamie to help her smuggle things into the prison to sell because everyone in this movie is stupid. And suddenly she's got quite the little operation going. Also, she makes out with a new girl that she brings into the operation. Okay, but if I'm being honest, if Jenna Dewan asked me to smuggle drugs into the prison, like I might actually do it. Okay, I can. I, you know what? I, I respect that. Um, and I don't, so they they do a little montage of like her little operation delivering contraband to all these people. And I don't understand how they don't get caught because zero of these inmates are good at conspicuously passing around contraband. <laughs> They're so obvious. She loses her appeal motion and freaks out so badly they have to put her in solitary confinement. Two weeks later, they let her out and the superintendent slash principal, I don't know, of the jail says she really hopes Sarah won't let this disappointment get her down because she's really become quite the role model around there. Oh, okay. Hmm. Farrell gets out of there finally. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So Farrell, the girl with the kids, she gets out finally. They release her. But Sarah finds out that there's a new prison commissioner who's establishing all new rules and security cameras and really cracking down on the prison. And her roommate which I'm making this my edit of the week because it's just so funny and I don't think they meant it ironically. Okay. Her roommate says, I quote, this is stupid. You'd think they thought we were criminals or something. No. (laughs) Attack of the dads writing again. Mm -hmm. So Sarah decides her only answer is to escape. She previously saw the basketball coach. And I'm like, what kind of prison is, is this prison or is it high school? Like, I don't understand. Why is there a basketball coach? You know, sometimes high school feels like a prison. And they play intramurals? And they're just doing this avant-garde. Like against other prisons? You know, there are, like, inner inner prison sports. Sure. It just seems like a weird thing to hire someone to do. You know. Basketball coach needed for women's prison. I see lots of things going wrong with that, but Mm. I'm not an expert. So all that to say that she previously saw the basketball coach leave the door ajar while having a smoke break. And she knows there's a door on the other side of the gym that's never locked and leads to the release area. Because why would you lock doors in a prison? Like, really? I can't understand it myself. Um, so she's like, this is going to be easy peasy lemon squeezy. So... Someone sneaks her in some street clothes and her guard boyfriend gives her a visitor's pass to wear. And while walking by the gym one day, her roommate starts a fight distracting the guards. And it's amazing to me how helpful all these people is, given the fact that she's escaping by herself. 
Um, it's Jenna Dewan. And Sarah runs to the gym and out to the release area. She changes her clothes and texts her boyfriend that he she's ready, but he's running behind. And just then, like, another guard comes in to put away some sports equipment, and she almost gets caught, but she hides behind a cabinet, doesn't see her. That was a close call. Mm. Then she just walks out the door of the prison and into the van he has waiting. He drives her off the lot, but the bus is stopped so they can search it. The other officers look in the van, but they don't open the back doors for some reason, which seems to me to be where, like, somebody would hide in that situation. Nah. Nobody would be smart enough to hide back here. Mm. So, um, after they get through that check, Sarah changes into a guard uniform and gets out of the van. She's like, kisses her boyfriend on the cheek. She's like, I'll call you soon. And I was like, bro, she's not going to call you. (laughs) Yeah, wave bye-bye. She gets into a truck with Jamie and they drive away. And we cut to the U.S. Marshal's office that appears to actually be a hotel room. So there's that. Um, the marshal gets the call and tells his buddy, start the clock, because I guess he times himself, which is totally cool and not completely pompous and arrogant. You know, he's got like best times posted Mm -hmm. in his office. Over in Sarah's world, everything is not coming up roses. Jamie gets her a house to stay in, but none of her stuff is there. And Jamie has to break the news to her that her money is like the $6,000 she's been sending out is quote unquote temporarily unavailable because she and her husband bought a hot tub (laughs) and you can't pass up that investment it increases the property value duh everyone knows that Mm. so she jamie gives sarah 33 dollars and says she'll totally be back with the stuff she asked for and that she really loves her like warm fuzzy kittens and then she like skedaddle she's like bye (laughs) 33 dollars is the same as six thousand. like Mm, i don't i don't know why sarah's even upset So Marshall is on the case. He's interviewing prison staff and starts asking questions about old Scott, the prison guard boyfriend. And I was like, of fucking course, his name is Scott. Of course it is. (laughs) What else would it be? The prison principal is sitting in on the interview and says the prison guard Scott is super good at his job. And the other guy is like, well, there have been some rumors. So we interview old Scotty who proclaims his innocence, but the Marshall can see straight through him and calls him out on his bullshit. So he rolls over and confesses like a big old weenie. <laughs> but he says he really doesn't know where she is. She hasn't called him. Shocker. Um, Sarah calls her dad to say that she's out. And she's like, please don't be mad at me. I'll call you later. Um, the marshal finds Jamie's picture in Sarah's cell. So he goes to her house to talk to her. She immediately confesses as well and gives up Sarah's location. And they go to the house and get a classic lifetime split scene where they're walking through the house calling for her and she's in the bathroom cutting her hair but they're in di- different locations oh okay mm-hmm. like in she's the not- um, what was the one that they did that best in hold on I'll tell you the name bling ring yeah mm-hmm. yeah so um so yeah so Jamie not Jamie Sarah like takes off um, she goes to the store and buys a bunch of burner phones and hair dye. Mimi, Mimi meets her there and says, this is getting way out of hand. I like really can't get involved. And Sarah's like, well, you're already involved. So deal with it. She's like, I need an ID. Um, I need you to like, get me one. 
and you're gonna have to put me up in your house while I'm here. Because I can't sleep on the bus again. Someone is full of demands. Mm-hmm. Um, Marshall is interviewing women at the prison who all play dumb and act like they have no idea who Sarah even is, let alone where she may be. The new lady she had seduced tells him Sarah is his is her wife. Okay. And Marshall's like, um, well, actually, she had told prison guard Scott that she was in love with him. And new girl's like, well, I she didn't trust him as far as she could throw him. She would keep the condoms he used as insurance. Ew. I was like, ew. I don't. That's so gross. I don't like that at all. Mm-mm. So Marshall goes to talk to Mimi, who says she doesn't know where Sarah is, and says she's super scared of her because she didn't have an allergic reaction that day. Sarah poisoned her like on purpose, and then we- they replay the scene again. And this time, when Sarah like grabs her arm to see if she's okay, she says, "Remember who who saved you." Uh uh-uh. uh And then sends her out. Yeah. So she's like, "I really want her back in prison." And we cut to a now blonde Sarah walking down the street eating chips. She comes up on the hotel, but the marshal is there and she sees him. So she books it and calls Farrell to help her, even though she doesn't want to because she doesn't want Farrell's kids involved. The marshal is briefing his team, trying to find Sarah. So Sarah sets up a quote unquote date with a guy because she needs some money. While she's on her date, Farrell calls because there are cops at the strip club she works at. She tells Sarah that Sarah can't come back to her house. And Sarah's like, I definitely won't. Like, don't worry about it. I would never, like, put your girls in danger. She goes back to her date and asks him if she can stay over and then asks if he can take, if she can take a bath. While she's in there, though, he turns on America's Most Wanted. And we get a cameo from um, at um, John Walsh. John Walsh. Um. And they're focusing on none other than Sarah. Whoopsie. But he's not mad. He's turned on. Of course he is. So all's well that ends well. <laughs> After sexy time, they cuddle and she asks him to help her get a job. So he does. We see an interview with Jamie on America's Most Wanted that um, her new boyfriend, Bob, and, and Sarah are watching together. And Jamie, who's now in jail, says she helped Sarah escape and she would do it again. Jamie crazy too. Yeah. Sarah and her new boyfriend watch the story and laugh about it. The marshal tells her through the camera when they're interviewing him that she will make a mistake and he will catch her. And we cut to her dad opening a package with a burner phone in it. There's only 20 minutes left. So I'm guessing that this is the mistake that she made. Sarah talks about running to Bali. She says they need a long-term plan for the future. There's no extradition treaty there. And she and Bob can be together. Um, the guy that's um, over her at her at Bob's company, like the head of the department, confronts her and says that he knows that she's not really their boss's wife's cousin and wants to know who she really is. She points out that he's been embezzling money for years, so maybe he should back up for a minute and take a seat. <laughs> she does not, like, pull any punches. Cut to her dad, who's talking to the marshal, and he hands over the burner phone. Come on, Dad. You can't even trust your own flesh and blood these days. I know. I think he's... Well, he says he's worried about her being shot and killed. In, like, some kind of... Somebody seeing her and, like, killing her. Um, Sure, Dad. Sure. 
Whatever, you just didn't want to have to deal with her anymore. She's probably the middle child. She's an only child, I think. Later, Sarah calls the burner phone and the marshal tells her to turn herself in. He goads her into an argument where she basically admits that she was there during the initial murders, which started this whole, like, fiasco to begin with. Right. <coughs> Oopsie. Sarah wakes up to her boy to Bob calling. She breaks up with him because she needs a man who can commit to her. And he's like, I can totally commit. Don't break up with me. You're so hot. So he rents her an apartment. I mean, that's what I would do to try to keep my um, escaped con girlfriend. Yeah. Hold on. She tells him that she wants him to get a divorce um, and be with her. And he says that divorce is super complicated. And she's like, well, maybe there's a simpler solution. And she's already done it once. But, like, again, this escalates so quickly. Like, divorce is complicated, but murder to me seems to be way, way, way more complicated. Yeah, but there's less paperwork for but you. But also, it's, it's gross. It's icky. Don't do it. Marshall goes to visit Ricky in prison, who says he definitely doesn't know where Sarah is. And since she's already been out on, on the run for four months, he's not expecting her to call anytime soon. He tells her, or he tells Marshall all about Sarah's hopes and dreams for a big family with lots of kids. So this causes Marshall to pull the picture of the kids, of Farrell's kids that he found in her cell. And uh, restructure his investigation. Um, over at Sarah's apartment, she's researching suicide by coding, which is casual. Um, Bob brings home groceries and sees her. He, she starts talking to him about plastic surgery and how she can't wait to have a normal life with him. But he looks like mm, mixed emotions. Marshall goes to Farrell's house and basically, once again, escalating to like a, a 100 is basically like, you have really cute kids. I know she helped you keep custody of them. Wouldn't it be a shame if you lost them now? I was like, damn, like that's aggressive. He well, yeah, he's on the clock, Aaron. He's got two hours and 12 minutes to beat his best time. Oh, no. He's way past his best time since <laughs> it's been four months. That's, I'm well aware. Um, he promises that if she helps him, he'll make sure nobody knows about her helping Sarah and she will get to keep her kids. So, and then we cut back to Bob appearing to poison his wife with codeine. And the next morning wakes up with Marshall on his doorstep asking for Sarah. He says he really has no idea where she could be. They, he met her a while back and they spent the night together, but that's it. So Marshall's like, no problem, man. Thanks for your time. Have a nice day. And then he like, as he's walking away, he gets on his phone. He's like, he for sure knows where she's at. Like, we're just going to, we're going to follow him until he leads us to her. So, um, so what you're telling me is Marshall's the first like good police we've seen portrayed in Lifetime in a long time. Like, since the Mexico one? Yeah. Marshall gets Sarah's phone number, and call, like, from Bob's records, and calls her. And magic of all magic, in the two seconds before she realizes it's not Bob and hangs up, they get a trace on the call. Man. Lifetime <laughs> technology's real advanced. So Sarah's packing up to go on the run when someone knocks on the door saying it's a meter reader. She answers, and the officer says... Sarah Pender, and she just shrugs and says, you got me. So they arrest her. We cut to Bob and his wife in bed. So I guess he didn't poison her. They just had a whole scene with codeine for no reason. 
watching news coverage of Sarah's capture, Marshall is driving Sarah back to prison and she's telling him all about what a good person she is and she never hurt anyone. He pulls over and asks her to tell him the truth and quotes her dad from earlier when he met him saying she he told him, quote, when it comes to survival, Sarah is capable of doing anything. So Sarah uses this as her end to flirt with him. I heard like, you like survivalist girls. Weird flex. She's like, oh, you are you. You must really work out. <laughs> okay. Are those and muscles I see? Mm. So the ending text says, quote, Sarah Pender was returned to prison on December 23rd, 2008, and has been in solitary confinement ever since. Merry Christmas. Um, her earliest possible release date, release date is January 1st, for, January 4th, 2054, when she will be 75 years old. Scott Spitler was sentenced to eight years for his role in the escape. Jamie Long was sentenced to seven years. No one else who helped Sarah Pender was ever charged. Sarah continues to maintain her innocence. Of course the she does. And Well, that was wild. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, this is not a real story. No, I'm totally kidding. It's a real story. <laughs> I was going to say, I Googled it because it wasn't under the true story section of the Lifetime movie channel, but it was in a different section. And I was like, uh, this better be based on a true story. And it is. It is. I don't know why. Uh, do better, Lifetime. Do better. Um, so, this is, in fact, the true story of Sarah Jo Pender. Um, my sources were... Um, of course, the ever amazing Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, IndyStar.com published the timeline of Sarah Joe Pender's crime, escape, and court battle. Yikes. And then um, the most cohesive, coherent, well put together um, information I found actually came from TrueCrimeDiscussions.blogspot.com. Ooh. And um, this, the the writer, I wish I could find their name, but the writer says, quote, I am uncertain that I have done any blog here that I have done more searching of correctional institutes for inmate searches or even searched more individuals involved in a case. I have seen this case profiled on many true crime shows, including Snapped and others, and knew most of the story, but I did not know just all of the controversy surrounding the case and the players. So she, like, or he, did a deep dive into this case, and Mm -hmm. um, I am super appreciative. Yay. So, on October 25th, 2000, the bodies of Andrew Cataldi and Trisha Nordman were found in a dumpster in downtown Indianapolis. Not cool, bro. You know, that's where I keep my bodies, just mm. casual. Um, they could not be identified, so the police and media decided to release pictures of tattoos belonging to the victims. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's... I always feel like that's the weirdest thing whenever you're like, mm. do you know this tattoo? And then that people usually do know that tattoo always throws me for a loop too. Yeah. Like, clearly they're not finding the like Tweety Bird lower back tattoo that everyone had in the late 90s <laughs> and early 2000s. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, let's see. So a woman who lived a few blocks away 
um, identified them as people who lived with her neighbors, Richard Hole and Sarah Jo Pender. Mm-hmm. Now, this particular neighbor comes into play a lot in this case. Oh, um, good. She's like the real MVP. I it's almost said she's like the real a, VIP, which I guess like is a also nosy true, neighbor, right? Cats doing crimes. Um, so Richard Hole was a bouncer at a local bar and had a pretty like long criminal record. Um, he had six misdemeanors and two felonies on his record. So, like, already he's starting, like, way ahead of the game. He got some practice in before this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then his girlfriend, Sarah, had been a student at Purdue, but dropped out. And um, now she was working as a secretary for a contractor. And she did not have a criminal record going into this. Um, and she went, it's go big or go home for her. Huh? Right. Well, this blog said she had a clean record and that makes it sound like, like she'd never done anything, but I'm willing mm-hmm. to venture that she'd just never been caught doing anything. There we go. Which is very different. Um, and so it was soon learned that both Cataldi and Nordman were fugitives from a correctional facility in Nevada. Okay. Cataldi was serving time for possession and intent to sell meth while really don't do it uh-huh while nordman was serving um a sentence for forgery um so um according to richard hole he and um andrew cataldi were going to um renovate their basement to um you know just <laughs> flip it into a meth lab just normal um, and they were going to work with a chemist from Nevada. Okay. So, um, oddly enough, and this is going to surprise you as much as it surprised me. I bet it is. Their neighbors reported that they had heard many arguments between Hull and Cataldi during the time they lived together. No way. I know. I was like, no, that That's, didn't happen. That can't be right. Um, so Sarah's coworkers would also say that she complained a lot about her roommates. Again, I was shocked because they seem so close. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, Hull was not allowed, obviously because of his criminal record to purchase any sort of gun. So, right. um, what a bummer. the neighbor that I mentioned earlier, Jana Frederick, um, said during statements that, um, her that Richard Hole approached her boyfriend's son and asked him to go buy guns in his stead or mm-hmm. to buy guns from the boy. Like, um, he just he desperately needed a gun for self defense. Right. Right. Everyone needs one. Right. Um everyone does not need a gun. Um and crazily enough he the boyfriend's son was not interested in helping and really this is just a whole story of richard and sarah being victimized by people Mm -hmm. so um since he couldn't get the um the son to buy guns or to sell him a gun um he convinced sarah to go on the morning of october 24th to walmart to buy mm-hmm. a 12 gauge shotgun and a whole ton of ammunition. 
I mean, why would you have a gun but not a whole ton of ammunition? Right. And that's exactly the measurement. One ton. Mm, okay. Um, so, Hole also borrowed a truck from a friend um, to, quote, clean out his basement on October 24th. He returned. Didn't the, even have a basement. Well, that's where the meth lab was going to be. So. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Um, so he returned the truck on the twenty sixth, and was like, "Oh, but hey, before I uh, give this back to you, I have to go burn all these bloody clothes." Just oh, oh, okay. <laughs> just you know, like you do. Um, yeah. That was the same day that police had gotten a search warrant, a search warrant to get into his and Sarah's home. Um, They, during this search, they found traces of blood and obvious attempts to clean up the house. Um, And so on October 27th, the next day, Richard Hole was arrested in the suburb of Noblesville, which is where his mother lived. Okay. Um, He admitted to the murders. Um, Sorry, I lost my place. So he admitted to the murders, and on the following day, Sarah Jo Pender provided the investigators with blood-stained pants belonging to Hole. Um, DNA results obviously showed that these pants, like that, the blood on these pants belonged to the victims found in the uh, dumpster. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were no DNA results that linked anything to Sarah Pender. Okay. Um. So Richard's initial story was that Sarah Jo Pender had left the home to go get cigarettes that evening. And that while she was gone, he and Cataldi got into an argument over money. Okay. Um, later he would allege that the argument was over the fact that Cataldi had cut Hull out of a drug deal. Um, so Hull went on to claim that Cataldi knew of the gun that had been purchased earlier that day and went to grab it to threaten Richard. So, mm-hmm. um, n- naturally, whenever somebody is threatening you with a gun and you snatch the gun first, he shot both of the victims in the chest mm-hmm. and then just for good measure shot Trish- Trista Nordman, Trisha Nordman in the head, you know, just... Like, I felt threatened by this woman who was not reaching for the gun. Yeah. Right. Well, he went, clearly went through the police academy. Right, right. Um, She looked like she could consider thinking mean thoughts, and I just Mm. needed to deal with that. He said he was reading for his driver's license, but I was pretty sure it was a gun, so I shot him five times. Oh, hi. I hate this world. Uh Uh-huh. I get really dark when I'm sick. I'm sorry. Um, The story was that by the time Sarah returned, Hull had already murdered both victims and put one of the bodies in the back of the borrowed truck. Mm -hmm. So then she ran in and she's like, oh, my God, what did you do? And then helped him load the other body. Like, Jody, that kills people. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... So she helps him load up the truck and they drive to the um, dumpster a few blocks away. And then while Pender was at work the next day, Hole remained home and cleaned the house. Like a hmm. good house husband does. Yeah. Totally didn't have anything to do with the blood all in the house. No. no. Of course. You always think the worst of people. Paul. I do. I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, 
so she eventually get, gets arrested. Um, and no. I know, right? Crazy. <laughs> um, and this the, really just sounded like the perfect crime the whole time. Right. I'm really shocked. With <laughs> I know. So for whatever reason, the cops didn't believe that she wasn't involved and that, mm-hmm. you know, she just casually loaded a body. That's all she did. Really? Do we even have to try mm-hmm. that? I told you I casually loaded this body. Yeah. I lent <laughs> a helping hand. Um, my parents taught me how to be a good person. That's right. So, um, her trial begins July, 2002. Um, and so Sarah is, uh, you know, working with her attorney and mm-hmm. her attorney gives her very few rules, but one of the big rules is don't write your boyfriend. Don't mm-hmm. give him any letters. So right. naturally what is any, um, dramatic, post-teenager girl do when they're told not to do something oh does it immediately right so she's like immediately like as soon as she walked back in her cell she's like i'm gonna write him a letter yep nobody can tell me what to do with my life my life my life i would like to imagine that this is on lisa frank stationery just because it makes me feel better (laughs) so like a unicorn sticker on the back yes um so um Oh, yeah. So she also, at this time, starts sending letters to another inmate that she met at church named Floyd Pennington, like in the church at the jail. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, inmates... He goes to church, he must be a good person. Right. Well, you know, inmates are restricted from having communication with each other, but she had a friend from outside that would come in and take her letters and send them out for her. Um... Like weird, what a weird thing to do. Like give it to your friend who then sends it back to the jail. Well, it's most likely that this friend was um, Jamie Long, who was a uh-huh. former cellmate of Sarah's for very, very mm-hmm. briefly. Um, it's still very odd. Oh, yeah. And she was just serving time for a DUI. And then um, it was rumored by many of the um, fellow inmates that she and Jamie had a, um, a sexual relationship Mm-hmm. Um, or, or as this sweet blogger wrote, that they were more than friends. Well, there we go. Um, so, um, Sarah's writing letters to both men, and um, the investigator on the case, Ken Martinez, who played the biggest role in um, the case against Sarah Joe Pender. Um, mm-hmm. He searches Richard Hole's cell and finds all of the letters. Derp. Right. Um, so, um, so sometime in September or October of 2001, Richard <laughs> Hole's attorney approaches. Martinez with a letter that he said his client had received from Sarah Joe Pender in May of 2001. In the letter, Sarah admits to the murders, like admits that the murders were her idea and that she manipulated Hull into committing them. Um, and then right after this, Floyd Pennington is also approached or also approached Martinez and informs him that if he could set up a meeting with Sarah Joe Pender, he knew that he could get her to give all the details. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so Martinez is like, yeah, let's set that up right now. And right. so they set up this um, <laughs> beautiful meeting between um, Pender and Floyd Pennington. Um, and so Pender and Pennington both fake sick. So they'd be sent to the same hospital to be treated. And oh, so sure. Floyd wrote Sarah a letter that was like, hey, you remember getting these texts in high school or like notes in high school? It's mm-hmm. like third hour, skip and meet me in the bathroom. So oh, essentially yeah. the same thing. So, mm-hmm. um, so they fake sick. Well, I just want to say for the record, I never met anyone in a bathroom because school bathrooms are disgusting well that's true but whatever i figured girls bathrooms were not i figure y'all have couches and like televisions and... no it's not i didn't go to that bougie of a school oh okay but our main rivalry football game was called the gucci bowl <laughs> true story still is so anyway um they were left alone for approximately 30 minutes um and so they were still chained up, but they were close enough to speak without being heard. And this is when Floyd Pennington says that she confessed that she had manipulated Hole into committing the murders and taking the rap. And so both the letter that was allegedly written by Sarah and Floyd Pennington's statement were sent to the prosecutor. So, mm-hmm. like, it's not on recording. They didn't, they didn't, like bug the room or like have a wire on him or anything he just came out and he's like yep she totes did it and they're yeah. like cool 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 um like that fits our narrative we'll run we'll, we'll run with it right so by the time the trial begins the um the prosecutor really was convinced that sarah was the mastermind and his whole um his whole trial is built around this idea. So it's not like he's even entertaining any other ideas. Right. Um, so he um, brings in a forensic document examiner who looks over the letter and determines that Sarah had written it. Um, she was called the female Charles Manson in court. And it was right. a nickname that like stuck with her. Um, I mean, that's a really big leap. Right, right. Look, there's a letter. There's a he said, she said. And there's two dead people. And that all points to Charles Manson. I mean, okay. That's all the, that's all the ingredients for Charles Manson. Um, so she is convicted to 100, or uh, she was sentenced to 110 years. Um, and so the earliest chance for her parole is... Um, February of 2054. Mm-hmm. So, um, in August of 2008, she decides that she is tired of waiting in this stodgy prison. I mean, yeah, I get it. I've already missed one Black Friday. It's not mm-hmm. happening again. Well, see, it's interesting because, like, in the movie, it had been, like, several years. Oh, yeah, no. Um, mm-hmm. it... So, I mean, it's been like seven years. Oh, okay. Her trial began in 2002. It wrapped up uh, early 2003. So it's been five years that she's been in prison. Oh, okay. Because you said I missed one Black Friday. And I was like, well, wait. Uh, Right. Well, you start to get, you start to get antsy after the one Black Friday. And then they start to Mm -hmm. build. 
Um, sure. Right. So um, she escapes August 2008. And um, it is determined that she has help from a prison guard, Scott Spittler. And that she'd been picked up on the outside by that friend who mailed all her letters, Jamie Long. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets re- recaptured in December of 2008, where she has been living under an assumed name and is working as an estimator for a contractor. Um, and so during this time, her case gets re-aired on America's Most Wanted. And um, she actually was the only woman placed on the U.S. Marshal's 15 Most Wanted Fugitives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her moniker, the female Charles Manson, really made her out to be extremely dangerous. Yeah. Um, so it's funny, like, in the movie, they talk about her being, like, the only woman on the Most Wanted list, and her boyfriend, Bob, is like, well, in high school, I couldn't get a cheerleader, but now I get the only woman on the 15 most wanted list. I'm like, that's not, that's not an upgrade. That's not- <laughs> no, nope. I don't think you know how this works. No. Um, so Scott really enjoys that she has this name, the female Charles Manson, because mm-hmm. when he gets a chance to speak for his defense, he says, well, you know, you know what she's capable of. She's the female Charles Manson. And I just couldn't. Look, if he didn't walk into the court singing that creepy ass fucking song <laughs> that Charles Ma- the Manson girls did, I don't want to hear about how brainwashed he was. I'm sorry. I just don't buy it. Right. Um, so he claimed that she had manipulated him and convinced him to help her. And he even mentioned like the Manson comparison. There were rumors that I know this is going to shock you, but there were rumors that he and um, Sarah Joe were having an ongoing sexual relation while they were, while she was in prison. Wow. She seduced me with her magic vagina. She's a witch. <laughs> it's a Manson vagina. Manson. <laughs> I wish I could make that the episode title, but that's a little far-fetched even for me. (laughs) Um, So her supporters would say that the affair was untrue um, and that Spittler had expected a sum of money that was either $1,500 or $15,000. I couldn't actually tell. Right. I couldn't actually (laughs) tell which one was being reported. Um, And so... Either he was expecting sex or money, but in exchange, he provides her with a cell phone, street clothes to change into, and Mm -hmm. the means to leave the facility. Right. So, um, however, um, it is, um, theorized, there's the word, that this story has been changed heavily by the prison to try to negate bad press so you know like obviously he was much more involved than anything came out because because duh um but that much much of it was concocted by the prison system which i would not be surprised if that were the truth i wouldn't either um Mm -hmm. so while um sarah joe was still a fugitive another guard named roger heitzman was arrested for Trafficking and engaging in sex acts with at least one inmate, if not more. So hey. that um, they're real good at raining. Trafficking an inmate. 
I, I don't know, but this uh, this particular prison is real good at reining in their employees and like... Where the fuck is it? Wisconsin? <laughs> you know, I don't remember. Indiana. Oh, close enough. Um, so, it's up there. I'm, I, you know? Yes. I don't know anything above Oklahoma. Uh, in fact, just to like... So this is all kind of the like bad press that the prison was getting but just Mm -hmm. to tell you how like how well they were vetting their staff Mm -hmm. um just a few months before she escaped it had been revealed that they'd hired a man named steven kazmerczak nailed it um as an officer like as a corrections officer without Mm -hmm. doing a background check on him um he later Opened fire on a student, like on students in a lecture hall in Northern Illinois University. He killed five students before turning the gun on himself. But like they did no background checking or vetting of this guy. So. Yeah. I mean, that might get you a step above Wisconsin. Right. Um, Not in a good way. So because of his uh, involvement in the case, Spitler was sentenced to seven years in prison, but he only served about two and a half and was released in August of 2011. Um, Jamie Long was sentenced to seven years and she was released in 2013. Hmm. Um, so see, that's all about the trial and the trial was really boring to me. Like my name. Right. Um, let me jump into this timeline here and make sure that I've hit all the big things I want to talk about. So, in 2008, she escaped with Jamie Long. She did do police arrest. So, she finally is arrested December 2008 um, in Chicago, where mm-hmm. she is living under the name Ashley Thompson. Um, sure. So, it really was like she was trying to go for the just the most generic name she could find. Yeah. Um. So, in the fall of 2009, the prosecutor who tried her case helps um, an author write a book, like write a true crime novel. And Mm -hmm. I just find that super um, interesting. Um, Yeah. But together, they discover, um, they're going through the old detective files. um, Mm -hmm. From several cases and they discover what's called a snitch list and on this uh, article from the um, uh, Indie Star they've actually put a link to the snitch list Um, Mm. and this snitch list was written by Floyd Pennington um, and so it's like it's all the people that he has dirt on apparently (laughs) oh god so um there was a book written about this um, that was, it was the one authored by Steve Miller, who um, mm-hmm. the prosecutor was helping. And the book is called Girl, Wanted, The Chase for Sarah Pender. Ooh. Yeah. Anytime there's a colon, I am both intrigued and it sounds like a thesis and I don't want to read it. Calendar girl, comma cop, comma killer, question mark. <laughs> That's just a whole lot of punctuation. It is. Um, so since then, Sarah Jo Pender has been just chilling in prison. Um, 
Straight up chilling, yo. Just, you know, yep. So there are a lot of controversies that sign this, that sign Mm -hmm. this, no, that surround this. Mm -hmm. Um, So the only hard piece of evidence that was ever um, presented at her trial was this letter that she allegedly wrote on May 16th, 2001, where she confessed to it. Um, So... Richard Hole later signed an affidavit and re- like admitted the letter was a forgery. Mm-hmm. He explained that while he was detained at Marion County Jail, he showed samples of Pender's handwriting to another inmate named Steve Logan and asked him to write the letter for him since Logan wrote more like a woman. And so in return, well, Richard... That's right? In return, Richard Hole protected him um, because he was, quote, a small white guy. Um, So by producing the forged letter, Hole thought he could get a shorter sentence. Mm. But on May 4th of 2004, when he appeared for for resentencing, the court found um, that... um, the court actually ruled against him because admitting that he lied under oath um, mm-hmm. apparently is bad. Shocking. Right. I didn't know that. I know. So um, it did not help him at all. Nope. Um, so on that letter, it was um, checked for fingerprints. And fingerprints from Richard Hole and from Steve Logan were found on the letter, but never any from Sarah Jo Pender. Um, the detective could not find a sealed envelope to match the letter. So all the other letters he'd collected had an envelope with them mm-hmm. that had been sealed by Sarah Jo Pender, but this one did not have an envelope at all. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the letters that Sarah Jo Pender had sent to Richard Hole had been written in cursive, but this letter was written in print, um, which was not her M.O., Nope. Um, Steve Logan had always, um, he's always stopped just short of admitting that he wrote the letter. He Uh testified that Hole showed him letters written by Pender and asked him to write some sort of letter as a way to reduce charges, but he claims that he didn't do it. On another occasion, according to Pender, Logan also admitted to a private investigator that Richard Hole had requested him to forge the letter. Mm. Um, so... Between the um, the time of redaction of Pender's self-incriminating letter, so May 16, 2001, and the moment it was given to Hole's attorney, um, which was either September or October, the... Um, oh, between that time, sorry, that's when um, Kenneth Martinez started intercepting the letters and made sure that contact between them had ceased. Okay. So, um, it should have not arrived to him. And if the letter was dated May 16th, so if it actually got there around May 16th, then it would have been taken up in that July raid that Kenneth Martinez had done to collect all the letters in the first place. And Hmm. then afterward, it shouldn't have gotten there at all. Um, So Floyd Pennington's testimony also is um, part of this um, 
controversy, conspiracy theory kind of combo. Because he was a habitual offender and violent felon who was awaiting a sentencing for robbery. Mm -hmm. Um, He had a previous record for child molestation. Um, He did meet on September 20th with Detective Martinez saying that he could arrange a meeting and have Pender admit responsibility for the murders. Um, He'd been involved with Pinder, like through correspondence and had received 75 letters from her and it had evolved into kind of a long distance relationship. So he said that, um, you know, like this is that whole setup for they're going to go to the hospital together. Mm -hmm. Um, so he was sentenced to 11 days for the robbery because of his cooperation with the Sarah Joe Pinder case. I'm sure that had nothing to do. No, not at all. He was released um, in 2008 and within four months was arrested for rape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Um, Shocking. Yeah. So um, in 2006, Detective Martinez moved to Idaho where he worked for the Ketchum Police Department. And in 2008, he had to hand over his resignation because um, there was evidence that he mishandled, like, there was an evidence mishandling scandal. He, oh. Yeah. Um, so he's just a real winner. Like, there are so many holes Sounds in this like problem. Mm-hmm. Like, there are so many problems in this. So in... Um, okay, so in 2009, here's where I was getting at earlier. Um, Steve Miller was helping with research on this, like, on a book for the case. And... Um, they found this snitch list by Floyd Pennington that he had given to Detective Martinez. And on that list, Pennington... Um, I love that you say Martinez. Sorry. Instead of Martinez. No, it's... it's I like... I, I just... It, it makes me giggle. It's not a bad thing. I just think... It, like, it's funny. It's funny to me how people pronounce things differently. Right. Because South Texas, it's Martinez. Right. Well, in yeah. most places, but, like, if you were a native speaker... The, unless there's an accent over the eye, that's not how you'd say it. You know, like, so. Yeah. Um, it's just, like, just different dialects are interesting. Right. Um, anyway, so on it that list. my ear in a weird way, and I'm like, what? <laughs> on that list, he offered to provide information on 17 people besides Pender. So um, he says, I've got, mm. I've got 18 people I can snitch on. And he wrote, quote, I will help to make buys, wear a wire, talk on the phone tap, talk on phone taps, or whatever I have to do to make busts on all these crimes. I'll talk on the phone tap. <laughs> Leave me alone. That was just me misreading. <laughs> oh, I thought, no, I thought it was a quote. I was no. like, what a dumbass. Talk on phone it just you. It's just me. I'm the dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all this to say, there's a lot of evidence that this could not actually be her problem. Hmm. Like that instead of being the um, orchestrator that she was an accessory. Yeah. Um, But I know this is going to surprise you, but women have a worse time in court. No, I know it shocked me too. A better time everywhere Everywhere else. else. (laughs) I know. Um, so she got I don't understand she got 110 years we're really years thriving and living our best lives out here right. but she walks into a courthouse and can't get a fair shake I don't get it I know um, 
Fuck everything. So whether or not she orchestrated it, I can't, I literally can't tell. But um, I can tell you that there's a lot of evidence that points to um, this whole thing was mishandled. Yeah. Um, Good job, Indiana, Illinois? Illinois. Indiana. Both, all of the above. Because she was caught in Chicago, but um, she was, she lived in Indianapolis. Good job, Midwest. Corn. Yeah, cord. So, um, in April of 2011, a male art project called Send Us Your Hand has been launched by Sarah Jo Pender, her family, and friends under the organization Art for Humanity to raise support and help Pender, who has been in solitary confinement since 2008. Mm. Um, so, like, it's basically a project to send artwork to this woman so that she feels connected to the outside world. Okay. So since um, since being caught and put back in jail uh, or in prison, rather, um, she has made headlines. I mean, she has made lots of like media headlines. So on April first, two thousand twelve, she was profiled on an episode of Snapped. Okay. Um, and then December of two thousand twelve was she made them do it. Okay. Um. September 22nd, 2013, she was featured, this case was featured on the ID show Deadline, Crime with Tamron Hall. Yeah, I've watched that show before. On September... It's interesting that I, she's been on so much and I've never heard of this case before. Right. On September 26th, 2013, she was interviewed on the British documentary Women Behind Bars with Trevor McDonald. Which actually sounds really good. Like, yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. And then on April 15th, 2016, she was on ID on A Stranger My in My Home. Uh, and her episode is titled Master Manipulators. Okay. So, yeah, she's gotten a lot of coverage for this to be the first time I've read about her. For sure. Um, cool. Do you want to talk about next week? Well, I do have a Lifetime movie this week. Oh, I'm surprised. Okay, tell me about it. I haven't had one. Well, but this is this is a different one. Okay. Because this would be like more, this would be one they would have to like do really well and like handle with care. But I just finished um, Know My Name by Chanel Miller, who is um, the victim of Brock Turner. Oh, right. Okay. And so what I want... Because Brock Turner sucks. Like, fuck that guy. Yep. But I want a um, movie that kind of goes through the journey that she talks about in the book so, so eloquently. What what she went through, like, speaking of women that got just shafted in court, she's one of them. Uh-huh. And just everything she went through with her family and her, like, her friends, the people that were supporting her. And, like, I because I think it's a... Like, we have to get, like, the victim's experience from that side out in the open because this is why women don't report right. assaults because of what this poor woman had to go through. Right. It's awful. And I've been there, and I was really hesitant to read the book because of my own experience, but it it was so, so, so good and so well-written, and I loved it. And that's what I want. Well, to jump off that... <laughs> because that would be really good but it reminds mm-hmm. me of i have always wanted to see um i want to see and i know this is crazy 
Um, but I want to see the the events of Monica Lewinsky's life from her perspective. Yeah, so, totally. Uh, she does a TED talk about being the first real victim of cyberbullying. That is so good because the 24-hour news cycle wasn't a thing until no. right around the time that she made headlines. Um, and she is so graceful. and She's really handled a lot really, really well, which I, is... Uh-huh. And this TED Talk, if anyone gets a chance to watch it, is so good. I'll try to remember to post it on our blog also. Um, but she talks about what it was like to really be the f- the first true victim of cyberbullying. But mm-hmm. um, the, the terror that surrounds that and how she was so young and to... And her mistake was that she fell in love with her boss and that people right. do that all the time. But because it was such a high profile thing, the the world that surrounded her from that. And it would yeah. be really interesting to see from her perspective. That's an interesting one. Yeah. I just, that book really, really moved me in a lot of ways. So I'm going to have to read it. it. It's really, it's really, you know, good. I like a good memoir. Like, I had to. Like I, I listen to an audio, so I do that in my office, and thank God I sit in a corner because like half the book I was crying. Oh, just the way she talks about like her experience, and I was like, man, I've so been there, and it's awful. And but you can feel because she narrates it herself, like you can hear in her voice like how hurtful it was. There's something about somebody reading their own memoir that is so mm-hmm. powerful. I love memoirs where the author, or even any book where the author reads their own words. Uh huh. I love them. Um, one of my students last year, because we're in the South where everyone sounds like this, kept calling mm-hmm. them memoirs. <laughs> Why do we have to read another memoir? Because there's a whole seventh grade unit on memoir. <laughs> I said so. <laughs> so do you want to talk about next week? I would love to. Awesome. So next week, as our Christmas gift to you. Because it comes out on December 25th, Christmas morning. You can like... Wake up, open presents, sit back with a mimosa and your earbuds and ignore your family and listen to our podcast, which is what Christmas is all about. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So instead of covering heinous, awful true crimes on Christmas Mm -hmm. Day, we are instead um, talking about only fluff. Yeah. I will be watching a movie um, called Christmas a la mode. Yes, and I will be reviewing, watching and reviewing a movie called Twinkle All the Way. And these are both Lifetime Christmas movies. Lifetime Christmas movies, yes. So that means there will be people of color. Oh, <laughs> spoiler alert, there's a whole ass gay couple in mine. No. Yeah. Take that, They're Zola ad. They're married in everything. I'm still so upset over you telling me about that Zola ad Hallmark They apologized. Drama. I'm sure they did. And they're, they're put, they're, they apologized. They're working with Zola to get it back up. Oh, I'm sure they are now. Yeah. I mean, the fallout was brutal, and ugly, but that's what they needed. Sorry they, about it, Hallmark. We love you. But a punch to the I face. I was really upset. Yeah. That really upset me. I thought it was so bad. So bad. Uh-huh. It's 2019. Like, get with the program. Like you can literally, it's legal to marry someone of the opposite. Like why, why is it against your family values to have a couple getting married, kissing at their wedding? Like, fuck you. Yes. So, um, this weekend, Sarah and I went to a fireworks show in the town where we went to college. Mm -hmm. Um, and Natchitoches. Natchitoches. Uh huh. Natchitoches. Um, 
And I'm so good. <laughs> Natchitoches is like the quintessential Southern small town. Um, mm-hmm. And I just stopped for a minute. I've made it a point to be really mindful and purposeful in not checking my phone and not living through my phone because I mm-hmm. do that a lot. Um, but to just admire my surroundings and be thankful for the world around me. And Yay. so while we were at this fireworks show, I took a minute to just stop and look around at the same sex couples and the, um, the interracial couples and all the things that even 20 or 30 years ago would have been so taboo to be in public. And just that I was, we're in a place where people don't have to feel ashamed. Mm -hmm. And love who you love. I, I'm all for it. Love whoever you want to. And it was just, it was just really wonderful. Like Mm -hmm. Sarah and I were on a lovely date night and other people should get to have lovely date nights. And I was glad that we were in a place that, that, allowed that um so there is my there's hope in this world moment there is and if you want to read like a really eloquent statement about the issue with hallmark um this weekend you can check out Lori laughlin's blog at (laughs) (laughs) no stephen lovegrove who is a podcaster um he reviews hallmark movies he's part of the deck the hallmark patreon group he's amazing he's also starting like a new dolly parton podcast in the coming year under their um label so i'm super pumped about that too but he wrote um he was encouraged by his um publicist to make a statement and he wrote just a really eloquent amazing statement you can probably see it facebook twitter i'm sure on instagram his name is stephen lovegrove it was from the heart it was very moving and i just he sums it up because i feel i feel un unqualified to speak on the issue because i'm a cisgendered heterosexual person like i so like it outrages me but not in the way that it outrages a lot of people so i feel like i have to give that back to them to speak on their own outrage absolutely and i'm i'm glad that you put that in perspective for me because Mm -hmm. as outraged as i can be it's not from a place of firsthand understanding it's of a place of love for other people but that's not the same place yeah so i encourage you to go look that up um and read it it was it was really good it sums up everything that i feel but from the perspective of someone that it actually affects that's that's awesome yeah all right so sorry to get i'll get off my soapbox now <laughs> now i think i think i like the soapbox that's the most positive you've been all night <laughs> i told you when i'm sick i get really dark so. it happens <laughs> all right well um hey don't forget to follow us on instagram at lifetime sentence podcast Mm-mm. lifetime sentence <laughs> did you hear like there was even hesitation when i started to say it and i was like just go through with it paul at lifetime sentence or at twitter on at life twitter sentence, at life sentence, sentence pod, pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, on facebook at facebook.com slash lifetime sentence um you can find show notes um uh, upcoming episodes everything on our blog at lifetime sentence.com and please support our patreon it's patreon.com slash lifetime sentence. We're having a real blast um, doing some fun things over there, trying to think whether we should shake things up in the new year or keep it going. I don't know. What do y'all think? If you have, if you're a part of the Patreon community and you have an opinion, let us know. We're totally in. We'll, we do your bidding. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, until next time, don't forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone. Bye. Bye.
This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.